Hello there, faithful listener. You've tuned in to season seven of the Bible Explained podcast. So make sure to grab your cup of coffee because today we are going to be discussing the book of First Samuel. Hey there, faithful listeners. Welcome to the Bible Explained podcast. And I hope that you all had a really great weekend. Now, if you didn't get a chance to check out the interview I did with my friend Jeff, I highly recommend that you still do it. It's listed in the description of this episode. And funny story, actually, about the episode. I ended up having to change the name because I originally called it a near-death experience, the accident that changed my life physically and spiritually, interview with Jeff. Okay, that was the original title. But then suddenly I had a bunch of people telling me that it wasn't a near-death experience after they listened to the interview. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, what, what, what does that mean? Apparently, a near-death experience is when you, like, travel to the third heaven and back, okay? I believed that a near-death experience was when you were near death, meaning you almost died because of something. And so I unintentionally created clickbait, And so I ended up changing the title of the episode because I don't want to create clickbait for people. I just want to tell Jeff's story because it's a fantastic testimony. And I think it's something that everybody needs to hear, especially people who have suffered through an accident or people who suffer with daily pain or sickness. It's just a really, really good testimony. So that is listed in the description of this episode. But let's go ahead and read 1 Samuel chapter 14 today, verses 35 to the end of the chapter. This is going to be talking about Saul, and he is about to put his son to death. So we talked the other day on Friday about all these crazy mistakes that Saul has been making as the king. And he hasn't been king for very long either. So let's see what kind of shenanigans Saul is about to get into today. I'll be reading this out of the W.E.B. Make sure to grab your cup of coffee on this chilly morning or your cup of tea for those of you who, for some reason, enjoy drinking tea. But let's read 1 Samuel 14, 35 through 52. Once again, this is out of the W.E.B. Saul built an altar to Yahweh. This was the first altar that he built to Yahweh. Saul said, let's go down after the Philistines by night and take plunder among them until the morning light. Let's not leave a man of them. They said, do whatever seems good to you. Then the priest said, let's draw near here to God. Saul asked the counsel of God, shall I go down after the Philistines? Will you deliver them into the hand of Israel? But he didn't answer him that day. Saul said, draw near here, all you chiefs of the people, and know and see in whom this sin has been today. For as Yahweh lives, who saves Israel, though it is in Jonathan, my son, he shall surely die. But there is not a man among all the people who answered him. Then he said to all of Israel, You be on one side, and I and Jonathan, my son, will be on the other side. The people said to Saul, Do what seems good to you. Therefore Saul said to Yahweh, the God of Israel, Show the right. Jonathan and Saul were chosen, but the people escaped. Saul said, Cast lots between me and Jonathan, my son. Jonathan was selected. Then Saul said to Jonathan, Tell me what you have done. Jonathan told him and said, I certainly did taste a little honey with the end of the rod that was in my hand, and behold, I must die. Saul said, God do so and more also, for you shall surely die, Jonathan. The people said to Saul, Shall Jonathan die, who has worked this great salvation in Israel? Far from it. 
As Yahweh lives, there shall not one hair of his head fall to the ground, for he has worked with God today. So the people rescued Jonathan. So he didn't die. Then Saul went up from following the Philistines, and the Philistines went to their own place. Now when Saul had taken the kingdom over Israel, he fought against all of his enemies on every side, against Moab, and against the children of Ammon, and against Edom, and against the kings of Zobah, and against the Philistines. Wherever he turned himself, he defeated them. He did valiantly, and struck the Amalekites, and delivered Israel out of the hands of those who plundered them. Now the sons of Saul were Jonathan, Ishvi, and Malkishua, and the names of his two daughters were these, the name of the firstborn, Merib, and the name of the younger, Michael. The name of Saul's wife was Ahinoam, the daughter of Ahimaz. The name of the captain of his army was Abner, the son of Ner, Saul's uncle. Kish was the father of Saul, and Ner the father of Abner, who was the son of Abneel. There was a severe war against the Philistines all the days of Saul. And when Saul saw any mighty man or any valiant man, he took him into his service. So this portion is kind of broken up into two parts. The first part being this story where Saul is about to kill his own son. And then the second part being how mighty Saul ended up being in general as the king of Israel. So let's talk about the first part first. So as we discussed on Friday, Saul had made this very silly vow that if anybody ate before the Philistines were destroyed that evening, that they would be basically cursed or potentially put to death. And so Saul makes this very terrible vow, puts it on all of the Israelite warriors, and now they haven't eaten for many, many hours and they were starving, you know, like they were so sickly hungry and they were, you know, expelling a ton of energy too, because they were fighting, they were walking all day. So they were starving. However, Jonathan was not there when his dad had made that vow, because as you guys remember, Jonathan actually went out early to go fight against some of the Philistines. And so he didn't hear when his dad made this vow. So what Jonathan does is he sees this honey in the wilderness and it's, there's so much honey there that it's actually like dripping, you know, out of the, the honeycomb. So obviously Jonathan is also very hungry. He's been fighting all morning. And so he takes the end of his walking stick. Okay. And he dips it into the honey and he brings it up to his mouth and he eats some of it. And immediately just because of the sugars, you know, in the honey, he is revitalized, you know, like his his skin is glowing again. His eyes are brightened and he feels so much better. I don't know if you guys have low blood sugar, but man, if you have low blood sugar, you feel sick. OK, if you don't get some sugar in you, like you have the hot sweats and, you know, the the sick feeling like in your stomach and your head starts to spin and you feel sort of dizzy. But the second you get a little bit of sugar in your system, all of that kind of goes away. So that's probably what was happening to Jonathan and to the men that were fighting here. But because of this silly vow that Saul puts on all these people, they're not allowed to eat. Now, Jonathan, not hearing the vow, though, eats. And he says, wow, my dad made a really silly vow after he finds out actually about the vow after he ended up eating some of that honey. But anyway, after that, everything kind of goes somewhat normally. And then now we see that Saul is ready to once again fight against the Philistines. So in verse 35, the first thing that Saul does 
is he makes an altar to Yahweh. Now, one thing we know about Saul, just from the few chapters that we've seen him so far, he's very good at pretending to look religious, but he's not very religious. He's not really that interested in the ways of God. I think he's interested in what God can do for him. I think he's interested in being the king. But for the most part, Saul was not very interested in God. But he makes this altar to Yahweh, probably to show the people that he's very religious and very righteous. But I'm not going to judge that. Maybe it was genuine because he had just won a huge battle against the Philistines. So, you know, you can't really judge that. So maybe Saul did make this altar with good intentions. But either way, he makes this altar and then immediately he asks God to help him further in battle. Because what Saul wants to do, it says in verse 36, Saul says, let's go down after the Philistines by night and take plunder among them until the morning light and let's not leave a man of them. So Saul wants to go and finish what God started. So the people say, sounds good. We're all refreshed. We had food. Let's go and do it. So the priest who was with Saul at this time, I forget his name. What was his name? His name was, going back up to verse three, Ahijah. Oh, and by the way, this priest, fun fact, he was the son of Ahitub, which was Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the priest in Shiloh. Do you remember that? So that was a story way back at the beginning of first Samuel. Eli was the high priest of Israel and he had two sons. Both of them were really bad. Well, one of those sons was named Phineas and he died in battle. And so when his wife found out that Phineas, her husband had died in battle, she gave birth right then and there. And she named the boy Ichabod which means there is no glory in Israel. So this priest, Ahijah, was actually Ichabod's nephew. So anyway, Ahijah says, let's go ahead and ask God's counsel before we go and fight the Philistines at night. So Saul says, perfect, let's do it. But God does not answer. So here's what it says in verse 37. Saul asks the counsel of God, shall we go down after the Philistines? Will you deliver them into the hand of Israel? But he didn't answer him that day. And so we know a lot of times in the Old Testament, when God did not answer a judge, a priest or the king, it was often because Israel had done something wrong. So Saul picks up on this and he's mad that God is not answering him. He's like, who sinned here? So he says, draw near here, all you chiefs of the people and know and see in whom this sin has been done today. For as Yahweh lives, who saves Israel, though it is in Jonathan, my own son, he shall surely die. So Saul brings all these people together and he states this enormous vow. So he just finished with a very stupid vow, right? With the whole thing with not eating. But now he does another vow. He says, whoever sinned here today is going to die. Even if it's Jonathan, my own son, he will die. Now, I would guarantee that Saul did not think that he was the sinner (laughs) or that Jonathan was the sinner, because I think in both those cases, he probably wouldn't have made this vow, but he makes this very stupid vow. And he says, whoever it is, is going to die. So all of the people, even though they know that it was Jonathan 
that ate the honey, or at least a good portion of them, I would guess, no. Because don't forget that Jonathan had his own bunch of people that he supervised, that he commanded, rather. They all know that Jonathan, quote unquote, sinned by eating the honey in the wilderness. But none of them opened their mouths to tell Saul that it was Jonathan because the people love Jonathan. They really like Jonathan. So not a single person opened their mouths, even though Saul was looking for the person who sinned. Now, Saul is getting absolutely nowhere with the people. None of them are coming forward and confessing. So Saul decides that he is going to cast lots to discover who the culprit is and why God is not answering Saul. So Saul says in verse 40, he says to all of Israel, you be on one side and I and Jonathan, my son, will be on the other side. And the people say to Saul, do what seems good to you. (laughs) So Saul decides to cast lots. Now, casting lots was a way for the Israelites to determine who the culprit was, if that makes sense. We saw this once before, and it's not always something negative. For example, Samuel cast lots to discover the first king of Israel, and it happened to fall on Saul. So what would typically happen was the tribes would all get broken up into their own tribe, and then the lot would be cast and it would fall on a specific tribe, and then that tribe would step forward and get broken up into families, and then the lot would be cast again, it would fall on a family, and then that family would step forward, and then it would go until the culprit or the person was found that Israel was looking for. And so Israel was looking for their first king. And so Samuel cast lots to find the first king and it fell on Saul. And it was also a way for the Israelites to communicate with God of who the person was that they were looking for. So we've seen lots getting cast multiple times before in the Bible. So Saul decides that's what he's going to do here. There is somebody in the crowd of Israel who is sinning and that is why Yahweh is not answering Saul. So Saul puts himself and his son in one group and the rest of the people in the next group. And then Saul says to Yahweh, may good lots be cast, basically show us the right way. So the priest casts the lots and it falls on Jonathan and Saul. (laughs) And I can imagine that Saul really didn't expect it to fall on him and his son. So then they step forward and I'm sure Saul is probably like shaking in his boots right now because he just made a vow that whoever the lot is cast on is going to die. So now because the lot had been cast on Saul and Jonathan, one of them was going to die. Otherwise, Saul would look like an absolute fool if he went back on his words. So once again, the lot is cast and it falls on Jonathan. So Saul looks at his son and he's like, what have you done? And Jonathan says in verse 43, I certainly did taste a little honey with the end of the rod that was in my hand and behold, I must die. This is a very humble response from Jonathan. Jonathan is a very interesting character because he seems to have a lot of faith as compared to other people in the Old Testament. Jonathan seems to have a lot of faith and he also seems to be very moral as well. And so because the vow was taken 
Jonathan believed that even he was under the vow, even though he had no clue that it had actually happened, because don't forget, he wasn't there when his dad made the vow about no eating. Jonathan was elsewhere. So even though Jonathan didn't even know about the vow, he still broke it. And so morally, Jonathan actually believes that he should die because that vow was taken out. So Jonathan believed when you take out a vow to God, you keep it. Even though, like I've said on the podcast before, and like I said on Friday, there are vows that people make that should never be kept. Rather, those vows should never even be made because those vows are stupid. There's no point to them and they're never in line with what God wants. Saul taking that vow out about the people not eating things, that was a very stupid vow. And then also this vow right here is very stupid as well because Jonathan did not deserve to die under any circumstance because of the fact that this first and foremost was Saul's vow. It wasn't Jonathan's vow. And secondly, Jonathan didn't even know about the vow. So how could he keep something that he didn't even know about? But Jonathan being a morally self-conscious person was still willing to die, even though he had no clue about this vow when he broke it. So he says, I did taste a little honey with the end of the rod that was in my hand and behold, now I must die. And Saul says, God, do so and more also, for you shall surely die, Jonathan. What a great response from a father. The correct response here would have been, I was wrong. I shouldn't have made that vow. I inconvenienced everybody. Please forgive me, Yahweh, for making a stupid vow. And also all of you people, forgive me as well. But unfortunately, Saul didn't do that. He's just like, yeah, you know, you're going to die, Jonathan. He was too worried about his self-image. And so instead of apologizing to the crowd, Saul being the insecure man that he is, doubles down. And he's like, yeah, Jonathan, you are certainly going to die. And I don't believe that Saul here was necessarily wanting to kill his son. I don't believe that. But also, uh, just he wasn't a very good father either because... He was more than willing to throw his son under the bus to save his self-image. So not good. But the people actually get very angry about this. And they say, no, Jonathan's not going to die. Absolutely not. He worked a great salvation here in Israel. Yahweh worked with him, is what the people say. Which, by the way, they, they equated Jonathan here to God but I am not, I'm not going to get into that right now because I'm running out of time (laughs) on the podcast already. So the people rescued Jonathan and he didn't die because the people were extremely angry. They were like, Saul, you inconvenienced us so much already. Don't you even dare lay a finger on your son who helped Israel today. So what ends up happening after this is so much time is wasted that the Philistines go home. It says that the Philistines, like, go home. There was no additional battle. And this is also showing, you know, that Saul, he could have done just so much more had he not been worrying about all of these trivial little things, all these trivial legalistic burdens that he put on the people. When we are focused too much on legalism, meaning rules that we need to keep, especially rules that are not in the Bible, specifically rules that are not in the Bible, actually. We just weigh ourselves and other people down so much 
from being effective with the gospel and being effective in general. But a couple more things before I end the episode. The first question I had when I looked at this story was why didn't the lot fall on Saul? Like, why didn't God make the lot fall on Saul since Saul was really the one who had caused Israel to sin and it was really Saul's fault? Why didn't God target Saul? And I I came to a conclusion. I believe it was because the people would have killed Saul and God still wanted Saul to be the king. I think God knew that if the lot fell on Jonathan, first and foremost, Jonathan would not have died because the people liked him so much. And I think absolutely God knew that. And secondly, it would still cause Saul to look at the error of his ways and show Saul that he had deeply sinned here. So that is why I believe the lot fell on Jonathan, even though Jonathan truly did nothing wrong. That was God's way of smacking Saul. And not to mention the one thing that Saul wanted here. He didn't get. He did not get the battle with the Philistines that he was desperate for. Because don't forget what it says earlier in this chapter. It says in verse 24, Saul had adjured the people saying, Curse is a man who eats food to the evening, and I am avenged of my enemies. All Saul wanted was to be avenged of the Philistines, and he did not get what he wanted here. So I think this was really a wake-up call to Saul. Even though the lot did not fall on him, it was God's way of uh, smacking Saul across the face, (laughs) in my personal opinion. But to conclude, in verses 47 through 52... It says that Saul was very great, actually, even after all of this. He was a formidable foe. He fought against all these enemies on every side. He fought against Moab, against Ammon, against Edom, against Zobah, and against the Philistines. All of these terrible enemies that were constantly pummeling Israel before. Saul did, in fact, have a lot of military victories against all of them, including the Amalekites as well. Now, it does mention the sons of Saul here, which were Jonathan, Ishvi, and Malkishua, and then the two daughters, which were Merib and Michael, or Michal, I guess, I don't know. But the last thing here, verse 52, it says, there was a severe war against the Philistines all the days of Saul, and when Saul saw any mighty man or any valiant man, he took him into his service. This is exactly what Samuel said the king would do. Any fighting man who seemed good to Saul Saul just took him basically as a slave to fight with him in war. Samuel, the high priest, told the people, if you ask for a king, your sons are going to go to war. Your daughters are going to be house servants for the king. You are not going to have your family unit together anymore. And that is exactly what happened here at the end of this chapter. Saul took all of these men, husbands, sons, fathers to risk their lives in war. This was a really fun story for me to talk about. Like I said on Friday, this this story in particular was something that I remember being so interested in as a kid because of how strange it is. It's such a strange story. And I really enjoyed getting into the nitty gritty of it and just 
you know, seeing how when we make silly vows, how they affect ourselves and other people in the long term. But faithful listeners, I hope to see you all tomorrow because we'll be in the book of Acts and we'll be discussing more about Saul turned Paul (laughs) in the New Testament. Faithful listeners, I will see you all on the next episode. Happy listening and God bless. Thank you.